to Where Do We Grow From Here, the podcast that shares stories, strategies, and ideas to navigate life's challenges and come out stronger on the other side. Hello and welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Today I am here, uh, he planted a church 20 years ago in Oahu, Hawaii. You didn't even say my name. I'm not going to yet. Oh. And he is currently the graduate chaplain and spiritual director of adult degree completion program at Point Loma Nazarene University. I'm here with speaker and pastor Gordon Wong. Gordon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Bucky. <laughs> uh, full disclosure, Gordon and I are longtime friends. We actually get to go lobstering together and fishing every once in a while here in San Diego. And so, and I also was the pastor that performed your wedding, and he performed my wedding, mm-hmm. which has worked out so far. So far, so good. Yeah, <laughs> um, Gordon, I'm excited to sit with you and get to know you a little bit better, and in, in ways that you know, hear your story that maybe I haven't heard. Sure. Um, and let others hear that. So, starting off, tell me a little bit about your personal journey and wh- kind of where you come from as a kid and where you grew up, all that stuff. Yeah. So <clears throat> I was uh, born and raised in Hawaii, in Honolulu, Hawaii, and um, my parents actually migrated from China to Hong Kong and then uh, relocated to Hawaii, and they were invited by my dad's sister, which is my aunt, um, and they were the, um, I guess, the, the, the family that um, invi- uh, hosted? hosted them, right, yeah. Um, they moved to Hawaii on May 2nd, 1967, and I was born 29 days later. So oh, my, wow. my birthday is May 31st, Wow! which is, you know, uh, you can calculate that. But I'm, I'm the only child of my family that was born in the United States. So of my siblings, I'm the only one that can run for president of the United States, wow. which I lord it over them. So I did the math. So yeah. you're 75 years old? Uh-huh. Uh, 74. <laughs> oh, um, so... All you knew was Hawaii. Yeah, growing up. Mm-hmm. Okay. What was it like growing up in Hawaii in the early 70s? Yeah. Uh, it, it was fun. I, I still have great memories of the simplicity of life back then. Hmm. And, um, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of the challenges that kids grew up with in those days. Uh, we were bullied by the bullies. You know, okay. school was tough. Uh, primarily because I grew up in uh, a home of migrant fa- uh, immigrant parents. Okay. And uh, so they didn't speak a lot of English at all. And so growing up in our home, we spoke Chinese. Okay. So I'm bilingual that way. Um, actually, I can speak two dialects of Chinese, so I'm kind of like trilingual. But uh, What dialects? Cantonese. Okay. And then a village dialect called Lungdu. And that's what we speak in, home, in our home. Um, hmm. And so uh, my parents, you know, they, they didn't read or write any English, but we grew up in an English-speaking community. And um, Now, were you in a community of other Chinese that are not really? Yes and no. The Chinatown in Hawaii wasn't far. Okay. So my parents would easily, you know, venture into Chinatown, and all of their um, social uh, interactions were with, you know, other Chinese-speaking people. So they never really had to assimilate into the American or culture of Hawaii, even though they did somewhat with the work that they did. But, you know, they... So they, sp- they spoke just a very, very little English, even all throughout their life. 
Okay, so they never had to really push themselves to learn no. too much English. Which was challenging for me as a young child because um, I, uh, I never had any a parent to lean on when mm. I needed help uh, with schoolwork and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, and so that was kind of challenging growing up. Were you in rural Hawaii or were you in no, the city of Honolulu? we were Honolulu? in a very urban setting in Honolulu. Okay. Yeah, I, I grew up not far from uh, some of the tough neighborhoods of Honolulu. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And were you affluent, or did you did you guys struggle with finances growing up? Or yeah, we were not we were not affluent. We, okay. I, I would say that we were on the lower spectrum of the the, the low middle class. Not even we were on the maybe the upper spectrum of the lower class. <laughs> <laughs> it's all how you look at it, but yeah. But we didn't. I didn't grow up with very much at all. Okay. Yeah, it was a very sparse uh, childhood. What did your parents do for a living? Um, my mom worked at the old Dole Cannery in, oh, really? in Hawaii. It shut down years ago, but she was a trimmer on okay. the, the line. And my dad uh, worked in um, food service. Uh, he worked at different restaurants. And in the early 70s, he bought a, uh, a, a lunch wagon of his own. Oh, really? And this is way before lunch wagons became vogue like it is today. Yeah. But yeah. Like driving lunch wagon? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, not a cart. He sold... Uh, Char Siu Bao, the oh. barbecue pork buns oh, okay. that That's we just shared a little bit ago. Gordon just shared food yeah. with me. And we, what was it again? Bar- it's, it's called Char Siu Bao. Char Siu Bao. But in yeah. Hawaii, we call it Manapua. So okay. my dad sold that in a, a lot of different kind of Chinese foods. Okay. Mm-hmm. Candy, gotcha. sodas. Hmm. Did that for years. Okay. And so you grew up with your... Now, Dole is up in the other side of the island, wasn't it? Or no? They had a huge plant right in the heart of the city. Okay, so she didn't have to travel to... No. Okay. Um, and then your dad was there. Did you have brothers and sisters? Did I have, have two older brothers and a younger sister, so I'm the youngest of four children. You have a younger sister? I'm sorry. Two older brothers and a, and a sister. Oh, a sister that's older, older than, than, than me. Younger than yeah, she was younger okay. than the two brothers. Okay. And then me. I was the youngest. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, okay, and what was that like? Were you Are you close? Were you close growing up with your brothers and sisters, or...? We probably had a very typical uh, uh, relationship with my two older brothers, I would say, lording it over us because they could. Um, mm-hmm. We lived in a latchkey home where my, 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 my parents were always working. And so my brothers uh, took the responsibility of being the people in charge. And okay. without uh, having any classes to do that, they... <laughs> they did what older brothers did, you know. They abused their power. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and as you think back on those years, what are good memories? What are challenges for you or challenges that you remember at that time? Yeah. So, um, you know, when I look back on those times, while we grew up without a lot, um, it, it's really helped me to become the person I am. So I feel like I'm very resourceful okay. today. Uh, I feel like I'm resilient because, you know, I had to, uh, I grew up without very much and made the best of what I had. Hmm. Um, so my parents, they, they didn't speak English. Um, they didn't, you know, they weren't involved in a lot of my school activities. Uh, they, um, they, they lived in their own, you know, Chinese culture, which we easily moved into. And that was part of our life in Hawaii growing up. Um, But outside of that, um, you know, they were parents that worked hard to provide for their family. And, and, 
you know, we I don't have a lot of memories of us taking family vacations or anything like that. Mm. Yeah, but um, I I grew up and and found community in different places. Okay. Yeah. So one of the places that I I love my the memory of is growing up um, at a place called Palama Settlement, and uh, it was a kind of a community center Mm. that um, did sports as an outreach for urban kids, and so I was one of them, and I I learned to play basketball there. But the neat thing about the Palama Settlement program was more than just sports; they would include academics and a training table, which uh, they would feed you. Oh, okay. And so after school, we'd, you know, go home, put our bags away, put our books away, get on our, you know, um, T-shirts and shorts and shoes, yeah. practice basketball for a couple of hours. Okay. After basketball practice, we would have to go to a, uh, uh, a study hall, and that was a part of the curriculum. And they had either their work that they prescribed for us or we could do homework from school. And then, um, and then uh, they fed us in the in the evenings. Hmm. It was amazing. Oh wow! Yeah. And so, which you your parents weren't home necessarily, anyways. So yeah. So oh. and I went home, and you know I didn't have to have dinner, and that's hmm. they loved that because we <laughs> we yeah. we weren't rich or anything like that. So it was neat. Growing up at Palama and and learning to play basketball there gave me something that I never had at home, hmm. and I, I sought after it. And that was the opportunity to be uh, somebody that was was relied upon, that that mm. was given leadership opportunities, even for a ten-year-old kid. Mm. So, being the youngest of four children, you know, yeah. there was I was uh, the the low person on the totem pole at home. I'm the youngest of three, so yeah, I'm... told to do all the terrible jobs that nobody else would like, hey, do this, do that, you know. But when I got on the basketball court. And I had a little success there. Hmm. My coach made me one of the captains. Okay. And for the first time... This is in, like 10 years old? Or? Yeah. yeah. And I, I, looking back on it, yeah. for, for the first time in my life, I had the opportunity to be a leader, hmm. which was amazing, which, yeah. which has really helped me to become the person that I am today, looking at it, looking back at it. Wow. Yeah. I'm gonna, do you remember the coach's name? Yeah, I do, actually. Okay. Eddie Nakamura. Hmm. And and you know I I know that since then Eddie has has passed away. Oh, okay. But uh, I could tell you every name of the coaches that I had at Palama Settlement. Hmm. Yeah, it meant a lot to me growing yeah. up. That, that's cool that uh, that there was a place that you that you go every day to feel like oh this is this is a place where I'm being invested in yep. I'm growing that uh, they see something in me that I didn't ever see in myself necessarily. Mm-hmm. Did you play high school ball? Did you play, go on to... Interestingly, my parents didn't allow us to play sports for the school. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Why not? <clears throat> That's, I, I still don't understand why. Um, so um, my, my brothers were very athletic as well, too. Okay. We loved, all of us loved playing basketball. Hmm. And because they were older than me, you know, they kind of forged the way. <clears throat> they, didn't, they weren't allowed to play basketball for the school. And a friend of theirs said, hey, if you, since you can't play for the school, our church is uh, has a basketball team. Why don't you come and play for us? Hmm. And so my two oldest brothers began going to the local Nazarene church down the road that had a basketball team and began to play basketball for the church, which they had a really fun competitive league. Hmm. And one of, the, one of the rules was that in order for you to play in the game, you had to be in church on Sunday. Okay. So they, so they get you. Began, yeah, they got us there. <laughs> they began to go to church. 
And, and this is the amazing thing. My two older brothers that were lords to me. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. They, they ruled the, the roost at home when parents, my parents weren't home. Um, and, and they weren't very good lords as well. <laughs> were, were they unkind? Were they like tyrants or were not? Well, when you're 10 years old, your brother's a tyrant, right? Your older yeah. brother's a tyrant. Um, but after they started going to church, they started to change a little. Hmm. They didn't punch me as hard. <laughs> <laughs> Just enough to motivate. Yeah. Hmm. Um, now, I did see a difference in their lives. And, and then the amazing thing happened. These people from the, the church down the street, they began to invest in my brothers. They would call the, our home and invite them to church and pick them up, you know, mm. and it was, and being on the outside looking in. So you were younger, yeah. you, they were in a youth group right. and you were younger. And okay. I wasn't allowed to be a part of that. Gotcha. Um, but I was heavily involved in my own sports thing at, at Palama Settlement. So when I got to the age where I could actually be a part of, you know, a school and, you know, um, join the team, which my parents didn't allow us to, Yeah, uh, I said, hey, I could play basketball for the church. Hmm. And I began to go to church even before basketball season, knowing that I wanted to play basketball there. Okay. And and the your parents didn't mind you playing for the church. They just didn't want you to play for the school. Yeah, that was weird. But did they see it as a conflict? I'm trying to make sense of that. They, did they see it as a conflict with your academics or just... There were maybe a money thing that you no. had to pay for it, or I'm not, I'm I still to this day I don't understand. Please it. tell me it's bothering me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting, and but it uh, made a way for you to to be invested in in a different way at the church. It sounds like. Well, what was so amazing is that the what what I lost because I aged out of being able to be a part of Palama Settlement. Yeah, I gained by going to that church because the amazing thing was that when I started going. People took an interest in me, hmm. just like how Palama did, uh, and uh, and as I started attending and learning and growing, and I got to play basketball, which was you know my passion as a kid. Um, it wasn't long uh, in that um, that I I was also given these opportunities in the church to do things like lead the youth group, oh, and really? yeah, which really gave me a taste of you know what i eventually grew up now that i'm an adult yeah. to do right and um so that looking back on it was very very formative to to me hmm. what looking through your childhood and then your um high school years what what do you see as your greatest challenges what were some of your biggest hurdles that you had to jump over or go through yeah so um back in in those days i think one of the the hurdles that i felt like i had was the lack of uh of resources my parents you know they were they they we never got allowances um and so uh all my clothes were hand-me-downs um you know we we lived without a lot and and i felt a little embarrassed because the house we lived in was a wreck yeah. Um, in fact, it's not even standing anymore. You know, it's just um, I, I used this is kind of embarrassing. But yeah. when friends would say, oh, my parents are going to take us out, you know, for my birthday party and I'd catch a ride mm-hmm. when they drop me off at home, I'd have them drop me off at my neighbor's house. Oh, really? And then I'd walk home to my house. OK, I didn't want them to see the home that I lived in. It was kind of so those were yeah. kind of, you know, things that I was uh, looking back on was like, hmm. 
yeah, challenges. Um, but then again, you know, it, it helped me to become the person that I am today. Yeah. Um, I, I, I look back on those days and, and know that uh, I, I had, m- now that I know, I had more than I, I realized that I yeah. did have. But even in those days when a lot of, you know, there was no cell phones or anything like that. But yeah. but kids uh, that had a little bit more, mm-hmm. they, they would have like the, the the latest games or a bigger deck of uh, baseball cards or just, yeah. you know, whatever the status symbol was. Today it's your iPhone or whatever. But back in the day, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I never had any of those stuff. But, mm-hmm. but um, through creativity and imagination, mm-hmm. I, I still had a great childhood. You made your own baseball cards? Yeah, I did. <laughs> out, of, out of mango peel. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, and did it sounds like there's a piece of you that was like, oh, I'm an outsider in some of this stuff, but that you'd never really bought into that too much. No. Or you found ways to just be like, nope, I belong, and this is... it. My experience, children of immigrants sometimes feel like oh i'm other i'm not part of this community but you it sounds like you were able to blend was uh hawaii very open to to you as a, i mean as did you feel different yeah culturally you know, or no the neat thing about growing up in hawaii for me was hawaii is so multicultural yeah yeah right and everybody looked different which made us all kind of look alike yeah right so i had samoan friends filipino friends japanese friends chinese friends and we, we all blended together. Did you have any white friends? Two. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. You yeah. know, whoever was at school. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Huh. So it sounds like you you were able to see that I'm different, but I'm the same. Yeah. We're all different. We're so. all different, right? Yeah. Which made us equally the same, you yeah. know? So I never saw myself as being any different. And, and that helped me growing up. Even though I did, like, have real experiences of prejudice against me, I never received it that way. Okay. How, you know? did, how did you receive it? Uh, that like this it was, person's, it, yeah. was it, it, it didn't bother me so much that the other person called me names, uh, racial names. Um, I just thought that was their problem, not mine. Okay. Yeah. It's a very healthy way of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> what did you find? I mean, you talked about some great kind of anchoring things that where people invested in you or saw something in you. What, do you feel was life-giving as a child? It sounds like basketball was that, mm-hmm. that uh, you started going to church. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like, did you begin, through basketball, did you begin to grow roots in the church, or how did that kind of evolve? Yeah, so I went to church before basketball season started because okay. I saw the outreach that my brothers got from the people there. And okay. once I started going there, it was almost second family to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was welcoming and loving, mm. and and growing up in a Chinese home, uh, the um, I, I don't know how you would say it. You're making a, a hugging motion, like yeah. nurturing. The or nur- the... exactly the the nurturing side of family is not always pre- present. Okay. Yeah. Um, my parents growing up never said the words, "I love you," right? Um, mm. And um, that was how it was. In yeah. fact, just you know, moving way ahead in my life, uh, my dad, um, who passed away a couple of years ago, hmm. um, 
when, when he, after his cancer and surgery in, in the hospital, you know, um, you know, we're all grown up by now. Um, we would be with him, and as we'd left his hospital bed to, to leave at night, we'd go, bye, Dad, I love you, and in his Chinese accent. And the only thing he knew to say was, okay. Hmm. And, uh, and it was like that for years in our lives, in okay. our family. But then we decided that um, it wasn't okay anymore. Because when we'd speak in Chinese, he'd correct our Chinese because we spoke Chinglish, <laughs> Chinese okay. and English. Yeah. And so when he spoke English, he says, okay. We said, nope, Dad, that's not, how you, that's not how you respond. You have to say, I love you too. Okay, so it's kind of a, a side door way into getting him to say I love right. you. Right. And so uh, he goes, say that again. And we teach him how mm. to say, I love you too. And this is at the age of 85 or 86. Wow. And uh, and he learned it. Yeah. And then when we left him, we said, bye, Dad. I love you. He goes, I love you, too, <laughs> which was really cute. <laughs> yeah, so it's not that he didn't want to say it. He just didn't know the actual words. Yeah. But, and, and, but, but the, the, there wasn't a lot of hugging, and yeah. it wasn't very affectionate and nurturing. I mean, people actually don't have the language to, if they've never learned that, yeah, mm-hmm. to, to share that and pass it on. So going back, I mean, the the theme of your father there, um, your parents, what was your relationship like with them? Was it, it sounds like they were working a lot. You were uh, a latchkey kid. Mm-hmm. Your brothers kind of helped guide you a little bit. Um, what what was your relationship and how did it evolve over the years? Yeah, so growing up as a child, um, it was very respectful. Okay. Yeah, which is what, you know. Chinese parents want from their children, right? Yeah. Very respectful. And if if I did show any disrespect, you know, capital punishment was not a problem for my mom. Okay. Yeah. And so very respectful. Um, and, and back in those days... Is it capital or corporal? Uh, she'd spank us. <laughs> Whatever that means. Corporal. Capital means she'd kill us. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Corporal punishment. <laughs> That's funny. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, but but as we got older and became more autonomous and apart from my mom and dad, um, our relationship began to change, and and we began to impose on our parents the kind of relationships that we wanted with them. Mm, yeah. So not just what they gave to us. So even as we've gotten older, our relationship has gotten warmer. Okay. Yeah. And is your mom still around? Or? Yeah, my mom's still alive in Hawaii. Okay. She's still good, doing well. Okay, and the rest of your family, are they still in Hawaii? Or? Mm-hmm. All the rest of my family is, but we're in San Diego right now. I don't know if your audience knows that. I am in San Diego yeah. as well. So you went through high school, and then I, I met you in college yeah. here in San Diego. Uh-huh. Um, tell me about that journey. Did, was Had you come over to mainland before college? or No. Yeah, Uh when I moved to San Diego, it was my first time to San Diego uh, back in uh, 1988 when we, I was in college. Yeah. But uh, no, I born and raised in Hawaii, grew up in, graduated from high school, and I went into a program at the Kapiolani Community College okay. for food service oh, and right. culinary yeah. arts. And so I got a degree, an associate's degree in culinary arts. So why that? Well, partly because my dad okay. was an entrepreneur in food service. Yeah. And... Um, and I, I worked with my dad for a lot of years. Okay. And so instead of getting um, allowance, you know, as a lot of kids did, yeah. I had to work for my money. Okay. And so I worked with him. And that was my childhood. In a his lot, food truck? Uh, yeah, in his okay. food truck. 
I would work with my dad six days a week in the summer. Okay. And every weekend during the school year. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It was it was a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and he paid me eight dollars a day. Eight dollars so, a day. A day, and it was an eight-hour job almost. You know, so a buck an hour buck back an in hour. the day. It was it was it wasn't a lot, but uh, it was spending money, and yeah, and so I was able to, you know, get my own things. And when when I was in in middle school, when all this was happening, like in my life, um. I have to buy my own clothes yeah. for school. You know, my parents didn't really spend a lot of money on us <clears> kids. <throat> they paid the rent and put food on the table, and we had to kind of uh, fend for ourselves. Okay. Yeah. When you got your uh, culinary degree, yeah. did that help you then boost into a four-year degree at college? Yeah, get well, you in? yeah. You, did you do well in that? I right? did well in culinary arts school, yeah. Okay. I graduated with honors. In fact, it's so funny. They allowed us to apply for different things. And I actually am an academic All-American in cooking school. Oh, really? <laughs> Look a, at you. I had a, a yearbook with my picture in it. It was ridiculous. That's cool. Along with like athletes and all these other people, you know. So here's this guy in cooking school that's an academic that's All-American. Awesome. I never knew. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> But I had a dream to own my own restaurant one day. Okay. So after, while I was going to school, I obviously got a job cooking. And I started off in a in a local restaurant in Hawaii called Flamingos, okay. and uh, they still have a couple of them around, but uh, the one I worked at is no longer there because so long ago. But I got to um, learn the, this the trade and the skill and excelled in school, so um, my professor hooked me up with uh, one of the former students. His name actually was Alan Wong, same last name as me, no okay. relation. Today, Alan Wong is one of the premier chefs in hmm. Hawaii, if not the world. Oh, really? And I got to work uh, alongside Alan. Hmm. Um, my professor hooked me up with the job at the Sheraton Waikiki. Okay. Yeah, and Alan awesome. was the executive sous chef there, so he brought me on. Okay. And uh, I worked there for a little while and got a lot great, great experience and training. Gotcha. And then I decided that I wanted to not work for anybody else. I'm going to get to start my own business. Yeah. So... I went to, uh, I enrolled at Point Loma Nazarene University okay. through the church, right? And uh, to get a degree in business administration. So one day I could own my own restaurant called Gordon's Gourmet. Oh. Yeah. And I had a, a friend of mine make me a sign that I still have in my kitchen today. Oh, okay. It says Gordon's Gourmet on it. Gotcha. So we have to come to your kitchen to at my home. buy food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can't afford it, but. <laughs> <laughs> this dream of being. Uh, entrepreneurial yep. uh, businessman and own, I mean, you have the skill set now. Uh, what happened? Why aren't you doing that? Yeah. So I came to Punt Loma and knowing that Punt Loma was a Christian school, which part of the reason why I came, but not knowing what God had in store for me. Hmm. And uh, when I, when I came to Punt Loma, one of the really big uh, events that, that happened was my first year. I was really disillusioned being here. I mean, when you when you grew up your whole life in Hawaii, moving away is a big transition. Yeah. And for a young young man that you know didn't really understand much about um, transitions in life, a whole lot. You know, uh, I came and was just totally disillusioned. I was at that time felt like paying so much money to attend the school. Okay. The the food in the cafeteria was just subpar yeah. because of my background. Yeah. The room that I was in in, in my, my dorm, 
the heater was broken. And even though San Diego is kind of temperate, um, for a guy from Hawaii, it was freezing cold. Hmm. And um, so I was cold and miserable. I, I, I wasn't doing as well as I could have in school. Um, and the food was just n- not subpar in the cafeteria. I had a lot to complain about. Hmm. Um, and then uh, my roommate invited me to, uh, to help on a ministry team called OB Ministries, Ocean Beach Ministries, where they fed, you know, did a service, a church service, and then provided a meal for the homeless. Okay. And at first, you know, he invited me quite a while. I kept saying no because I didn't understand what yeah. homelessness meant, and I just saw them as people that were smelly and maybe even dangerous. Hmm. Um, and one night he said, uh, hey, Gordon, um, would you would you want to come to OB Ministries? And I'm like, no, it's okay. And he goes, well we really need the help in the kitchen because the guy that normally cooks is not going to be there. Then I said, oh, well, sure, I, I can help you cook. So I went down there to prepare the meal. And um, and when I we, we were done serving the meal, uh, my roommate, his name was Gary, Gary said, hey, why don't you go outside and um, talk to a couple of the guys? Hmm. I was like, no, that's okay, I don't want to. And he goes, okay, then why don't you clean up the kitchen and then, <laughs> then we'll head back to uh, campus. And I didn't want to do that either. <laughs> it was messy. And uh, so it was a choice between, you know, two uh, two bad choices for me at the time, yeah. either cleaning or go meet some homeless dudes. And uh, I said, I'll go outside and talk to a few people. Mm-hmm. And so I walked out. And everybody was sitting together talking. And there was one gentleman sitting at a table all by himself. And so I sat down across him and introduced myself. And his name was Larry. I still remember him, Hmm. beautiful blue eyes, curly, blonde hair. You could see he was very weathered, and um, he had scars all over his hands that you could, you know, I I just noticed he was uh, homeless, and I didn't know a thing about homelessness. Hmm. So I thought, this is my opportunity to find out, you know? Hmm. And so I talked to him. I said, Larry, you know, nice to meet you. He was from Ohio. He was married. He had children. And and he said... um, I said, Larry, where you know you're homeless? What does that mean? Like, where do you live? I know you don't have a home. Where do you sleep at night? And he said, Oh, I sleep in Rob Field down the street or in some alleyways. But man, it's hard being homeless because you got to keep an eye on your stuff. I don't get a lot of sleep at night. People steal my stuff all the time. Hmm. And you know, he had a shopping cart, and it shocked me to know that people that are homeless get stuff stolen from them. Hmm. I mean that. I was like, wow. And I know how cold I was with a roof over my head. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. I couldn't even imagine what he was experiencing out on the street. And then he asked me a question. He goes, hey, I just noticed that you weren't up there singing or talking. When did you get here? I said, oh, I was in the back cooking. Hmm. And he said, thank you so much. This, He said this, this is the only hot meal I get all week. And it broke my heart. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I went, we talked for a little bit more and Gary said, Hey, we got to get back. So I went back to, to the, to the campus at Point Loma hmm. and, uh, all I could think about was Larry. Hmm. And as I went to bed that night, I just kept praying. I prayed for Larry. Oh God, help Larry. And then it dawned on me that I'm in this room with a bed yeah. and I was so like frustrated with this cold room and, uh, and there's Larry out on the street. And I felt guilty about mm. it. And after a long, sleepless night, I woke up the next morning and I went to the cafeteria 
to get breakfast. And, you know, I got my standard breakfast, you know, eggs and bacon and toast and a bowl of cereal and orange juice and coffee. And I sat down. And just before I prayed my normal prayer, thank you, Lord, for this food, amen, and dove into my food, I thought of Larry, Hmm. who has one hot meal a week. And Hmm. I looked at the food that I've complained about again and again and again. And I, my prayer at first was a prayer of repentance. Lord, forgive me for mm-hmm. my attitude of all that I can have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I'm still uh, not appreciative. Mm-hmm. And here's this guy out on the street with one hot meal a week. And for the first time in my life, when I prayed and thanked the Lord for my food, yeah. I, I meant it. And that has changed me hmm. till this very day. Um, and and that, that really propelled me into... What this, changed for you? Well, uh, in that moment, my appreciation for everything that I had. Yeah. For the roof over my head, for the food on the table, for the education I was receiving. Hmm. It, it was like a, a moment that the Holy Spirit, Jesus, you know, just yeah. entered in and, and let me know that... I don't have it bad at all. Mm. And so uh, this great appreciation rose up inside of me. Mm. Um, And uh, that has really spurred me on to uh, become the person that I am today, appreciating everything that I have and even the things that I don't have. Um, And that also planted a seed inside of me uh, for living out a life of ministry that... Uh, at the time, I didn't have because I was pursuing being a, uh, a restaurant owner. I'm curious, the transition into ministry, because you, after college, did not end up opening a restaurant? No. Um, tell me about that transition. What, yeah. What pulled you in different directions? So at the end of my first year at Point Loma, I went back to Hawaii, went home <clears throat> to uh, just for the summer break. And while uh, back home in Hawaii, our church back then had revival services and a speaker came. His name was Terry Jones. Hmm. Terry Jones had Lou Gehrig's disease. Okay. He was an evangelist from Texas and preached amazing messages and lived a life that was amazing because he didn't let his uh, disability keep him from doing anything. Huh. He played golf. He scuba dived. Oh, wow. he, and, and he had this vibrant ministry. Hmm. And, and he said, look at me. He said, my arms don't work, but God can use anybody. And if he can use me, he can use you. Hmm. And he preached a message about uh, answering God's call. Hmm. And and I had heard messages like that before and felt the fluttering in my own heart and soul that God was calling me to something greater um, than just being, uh, than, than, than fulfilling my own dream and was hmm. to fulfill what God had dreamed for me. and uh, And without knowing what, my call was, but just feeling called. Yeah. When Terry Jones, uh, when he opened the altar, I, I went down and prayed, and Lord, whatever you need me to do, I'll do. And the men that I grew up as a teenager in this church surrounded me and prayed over me. And when I went back to Point Loma, I, I, I realized that I, I'm not going to be a restaurant owner at huh. all. And uh, I'm going to pursue a life that God had called me for ministry. So I went to my advisor in the business department and I said, I'm going to change my major to religion 
because I think I'm going to be a pastor one day. And he begged me, he says, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> he said, not because he didn't want me to be a pastor, but he said, finish your degree mm. in business because you'll need it. Yeah. And then go to seminary. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, more school. Because as a leader of a church, you'll need it. Is yeah, what he means. exactly. Yeah. And so, but I saw the value in that. So I finished my, completed my business administration degree and took, you know, some courses uh, on Christian tradition, I remember, and uh, youth pastor, what I mean, you know, youth ministry at Point yeah. Loma. And then I graduated from Point Loma um, and started dating a beautiful young lady named Rochelle Killen. Hmm. And uh, she was a couple years behind me. So I was hanging around San Diego, oh, yeah. not sure what I was going to do. And the pastor of San Diego First Church at the time, his name was Paul Hetrick, called me into his office. And we'd become good friends. And he asked me, you know, hey, what do you plan to do after you graduate? And I, I had no idea. And the college pastor at the time was uh, Mark Hamilton. And uh, he was a professor as well. And Mark was uh, being asked to serve as the chair of the communications department. And uh, and so I could, I didn't know at first why Pastor Hetrick asked me to come and see him. Mm. But then he said, yeah, I want to find out from your uh, point of view what we ought to do about our college class. And, you know, he said, do you think we need to get another professor to lead the class? I said, no, not necessarily. Just, you know, somebody that's available, that understands college students. And then he, he asked me, what, do, what, do you, what are your plans after you graduate? And I began to see he was kind of fishing to see if, you know, um, I would be interested. Yeah. And so I said, Pastor Hetrick, I can tell you exactly what you need in this position. And he says, what is that? I said, you need a handsome Chinese guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I got the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we had a, a good chuckle. And uh, he asked if I was interested. Hmm. And I said, Wow, what an honor. Let me pray about it. And uh, I did, and, and I just felt very uh, assured that this is where God was leading me to. Um, and I, I served in that role for two years as the college pastor, a pastor to college students at San Diego First Church. Two amazing, hmm. amazing years of ministry, for sure. Yeah. And that, yeah. that really was my entry into the ministry. Yeah, yeah. And you started a bridge... Mm-hmm. Class that yeah, I, I started a Sunday school booming. class. Yeah, that was that I, I I renamed the bridge. It was the San Diego First Church College Sunday school class. There you go. That's straightforward. Mouthful. You, <laughs> you changed it to the bridge. Yeah, I was reading Joel Aldrich's book Lifestyle Evangelism, hmm. and he talked about building bridges of friendship uh, to reach the lost. And I was like, man, what a great name for our class, the bridge. And so I started the bridge as a Sunday school class. And uh, did it for two years, and I, I realized a couple things. Number one, it was it was so much fun. Ministry was a blast. Um, the relationships were amazing, but I also realized that I had no idea what I was teaching because I was uh, a business major. Yeah. <laughs> Every analogy was about a spreadsheet or accounting <laughs> principles. Why has he got an Excel on the PowerPoint? Exactly. <laughs> and so I realized that I had to go to seminary. Okay. And I, I, after serving for two years uh, and get, getting married, Rochelle and I moved to Kansas City. Um, and in another podcast, I want to tell you about that story. Okay. Because that is a miracle, miracle story of what God did to help provide for me in seminary. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, went to seminary, got my degree in four years, 
and then moved back to Hawaii to plant a brand new church. And back in 1988, there, there, we did. They didn't plant churches the way they do today. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 the, 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 the term that they use is the um, parachute drop. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Pretty much, you know, <laughs> good luck and throw you out the plane. <laughs> and we landed in Hawaii on June 16th, 1988. In, in, no, 1998. Intentional on your part, though, to be back in Hawaii. Yes. Plant a brand new church. Yeah. Because uh, it was interesting. When I left Hawaii to go to Point Loma, I never had any plans to go back. Yeah. And it's interesting huh. how God has a way of changing things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and then I was, there I was back in Hawaii, um, there with uh, a lot of people that I, I knew growing, growing up, but they hadn't seen me in 10 years. Hmm. And uh, the mission field was wide open. And that verse uh, in uh, Luke, chapter, Luke chapter 10, where it says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Yeah. Ask the Lord of the harvest uh, for workers. Uh, I felt like, I was one of those workers in the harvest field. And for 20 years, I we planted the church and then served the church. And I, I remained the, the founding pastor for 20 years. Amazing ministry. Yeah. So much fun. Great relationships. Uh, life-changing for me and, I'm sh- you know, I hope many of the people that were a part of the church. Yeah, yeah. And I've got to visit your church while you were there. And it's an amazing place of community just to hear how community impacted you as a kid mm-hmm. and drew you in that you recreated some of that when you went back and uh, and I think that's what you tend to do wherever you go that you create community and bonds between people and introduce people um, what, so 20 years of ministry there and investing in people's lives um, and how long have you so you retired from that or transitioned from that position how many years ago? Um, two? A year and a half. Year and a half mm-hmm. ago, what what has been challenging about that? You're back on the mainland, not in Hawaii. What's been challenging? What's been um, helpful or good about that transition? Yeah. So uh, the reason why we left Hawaii and 20 years of ministry at the Bridge Church was because my wife Rochelle uh, felt a calling for many years actually mm-hmm. to be an educator for educators and come back to Point Loma. In fact, this year is our 25th reunion. Hmm. Um, uh, it was last year at the last <laughs> homecoming. And uh, she said, when I left here 25 years ago, I felt like God would call me back here one day to teach here, hmm. which is really cool. Yeah. Now, 25 years later. And um, and she was working on her doctorate, and she was at a place where uh, she could actually uh, begin to work at Point Loma and, uh, and teach as well. And so after having her follow me for 20 years of my ministry, yeah. I wanted to give my wife an opportunity to answer God's call in her life. Yeah. And so we, before we got any jobs at Point Loma, we resigned our work. I was the pastor, and she was the principal at a school in Hawaii. We put our house on the market hmm. because we really felt the Lord calling us here. Wow. And then we began to apply for work. That's before you had jobs here. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's some faith. Um, yeah, and so, what? How has the transition been? Is yeah. it? Have you had God affirm that in your lives? Have you? What have been the challenges in there? Yeah. So the challenge was to leave a community of people that we loved, and that loved us. Yeah. 
it, we, I didn't leave Hawaii or I didn't leave my church because it was on rough times. The yeah. church was doing well. Yeah. Um, and so leaving that was, was, was hard uh, personally. But because we knew that this was a part of what God was calling us to, it, we wanted to follow where the mm. Lord led. And, and also, in all the transitions of my life, you know, from Hawaii to San Diego when I went to college, yeah. from San Diego to Kansas City when I went to um, uh, seminary, and then from, from Kansas City back to Hawaii, these, these huge transitions, we sincerely believe every single one of them, the Lord led us to make that. It wasn't just because mm. we wanted to do it. Um, if I was given the choice to, I wouldn't leave Hawaii. <laughs> okay. Um, but we, we, we wanted to do what God was calling us to do. Now, what I know is that just because that's the case doesn't make it easy. And so th there was a lot of, you know, um, challenging, not a lot, but there were some challenges that, that, that we had to face. None insurmountable, obviously, you know. One of them that we didn't even realize was just the, what it felt like to lose the kind of community that we left behind. Mm. And it took a whole year for us to really find our feet under us and establish a new community here in San Diego. Okay. And, and I'm a very, like, relational person, so that took its toll on me just a little bit. But, yeah, yeah it was still, it was, it was challenging, but I'm, I'm in a good place now. So. Okay, that's yeah. good to hear. Yeah. Is, <laughs> what... I'm, I'm always curious because you are a positive person. You are a relational person. You're, you are kind of thrive on connectedness. If you were to go back a year and a half, what advice would you give yourself in this transition? What would you have done a little bit differently? What would you have, I mean, maybe yeah. nothing. I don't know. I wouldn't do anything different. Okay. But I would probably in my mind, uh, realize a few things when people left Hawaii and moved away from my church. Yeah. You know, we prayed for them and we said, and I, I told these my, my people, we're sending you as missionaries from the Bridge Church to wherever you're going. When you get into your local church, support and love your pastor the way you supported and loved me. And then be a part of the church the way you've been a part of this church. Hmm. You know, that's your that's what we're sending you out to do. And it was easy for me to say that to them at that moment. Yeah. But to live that was hard. And and I would keep in touch with a lot of the families that moved away. And they said, you know, after six months, Pastor, we still haven't found a church yet. We missed the Bridge Church. And, and you know, I, I knew the Bridge Church was a very special place. I just, at, at being in it, I didn't know how special it was. Um, I mean, it's, it's really an amazing place. Yeah. With amazing people. Yeah. And an amazing God. And the neat, the good thing is that the same God is, is uh, the same God wherever we go. And that's the thing that I... Even in San Diego. <laughs> Even in San Diego. And that's what I lean into. Which is very anchoring. Um, for you, I've, I've always seen you. I mean, I've known you for, what, 30 years? You've always been a, a man of joy and, and positivity. Uh, what keeps you in that place? You know, what's the secret? <laughs> <laughs> uh, good question. I'm not even sure I know myself, except... And maybe you're not that. Do you see yourself as a joy... Is joyful and yeah. Okay, <laughs> I do. <laughs> good, good. Um, and that's because I want to be around people like that. So I think that's you know who I am as well. Yeah. Um, 
And for me, relationships are really important. Mm. Like that's the heart and center of who I am. So to have uh, the, the, the mission of our church in Hawaii was to build strong, healthy, and beautiful bridges to God and people. And that's what my, that's my life mission statement. Hmm. And just, you know, to, to continue to build the relationship I have with God stronger, more beautiful, and healthier. And the same as my wife. Coming to San Diego was more than just a move. Um, we became empty nesters at the same oh, time. Oh, that's right, yeah. Both got new jobs at the same It was like the transitions were crazy. And I could never have done it and come through the way I have had it not been for this, this, the relationship with my wife, um, as strong as that is, yeah. um, and, and how it's even getting better, hmm. which is amazing. Yeah. After 20, this year we'll make 27 years of marriage. Uh, our, our, our marriage is getting stronger. What's getting stronger? Because you guys are a pretty strong couple. I'm, I'm, what yeah. feels like it's getting better? The connection hmm. after 27 years, the depth of love has grown deeper. Uh, and, you know, because there's no children in the house, it's just the two of us, uh, we, we, we are, our conversations have gotten better. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been fun. You know, not, not, and we miss our kids for sure, but man, it's been good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's if they're listening. We miss you kids. Um, and, and, and also my relationship with the Lord hmm. has been an anchor, you know, and I, I try to work on making that stronger, healthier, and more beautiful. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that just observing you and, uh, being in relationship with you off and on through the years, you're a man of discipline, you're a man of, uh, you're pragmatic. You get things done. You, you, you know, the things that you enjoy, you do consistently over time. And yeah. I think uh, yours is a life lived in a direction over a long period of time. And you can see the fruit of that in, mm-hmm. in who you are. What inspires you? Wow. Good question. Um, I'm inspired by, this sounds like a broken record, but having healthy relationships, hmm. right? Um, that that's the the heart of my job here as the chaplain is to build relationships with students that pass through and when i when i can meet students and help them to know jesus the way i do um that's inspiring or hearing stories of how people's relationship with jesus has been uh life-changing for them this is also inspiring um yeah so relationships that are strong and healthy are inspiring to me and I, I have loved to, again, observe you, and you still w- weave food into your ministry. You weave um, business in in certain areas and um, how all those and your your history as a pastor, all those things kind of have blended into the work that you continue to do. Absolutely. Today. So, Gordon, do you have anything that you, uh, if people want to get a, have you speak or... How do, how do they get a hold of yeah, you? Yeah, I'm. Uh, if you want to reach reach out to me and get a hold of me, um, I'm the graduate chaplain at Point Loma Nazarene University. You probably can find that on the website there, or you can reach me uh, via my email. Should I give my email out? You can. Well, yeah. Sure. If, I mean, if you want to give your email out. Sure, they can reach out to me there. Uh, it's Kahu Gordon eighteen ninety seven at gmail dot com. How do you spell Kahu? K-A-H-U. That means pastor in Hawaiian. Gotcha. Yeah. Gordon, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story. My pleasure. Okay, brah. 